good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you are a new listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that is in its, I think it's 42nd episode. This is season three, episode 17. We're in our third season, so to speak. And um, if you are a reoccurring listener, I'd like to welcome you back and thank you once again for lending me your ears. You could be listening to anybody and doing anything, but the mere fact that you've taken a moment out of your days to listen to me exclusively for this moment, it's greatly appreciated and it uh, means a lot to me. Before we get started, uh, if you are listening to me, on an iPhone or you're using iTunes or you're using Apple podcasts, please, I implore you and I encourage you to take a moment. You can take a moment right now. Just press pause, quick pause on this uh, broadcast on this show and rate this show, rate it, review it. If you don't want to review it right now, just give it as many stars as you want or as little stars as you want, as few stars as you'd like. It's fine. As long as there's activity on the rating system, the algorithm of this show uh, picks up and it will be it will show that there's activity on this particular broadcast and it'll show up on people's uh, uh, menus. When people do a search for podcasts that deal with politics, news, philosophy, culture, whatever my show will come up this show this ongoing conversation will come up and people that are interested in these topics will be able to partake in what it is that we are looking to do here so please feel free if you're on spotify i guess you know all you can really do is just follow the show but any place you can rate or review this show whether it's amazon podcasts or audible or Uh, uh, definitely iTunes and Apple Podcasts do a pretty good job with the rate, review, and subscribe system. Please do that. And I am imploring also that people share it with a friend, with one person that you know. You don't have to share it with five. It'd be great if you wanted to share it with five, ten people. But share this with the people that you think would enjoy it and other people. Maybe people that disagree. Maybe I have a knack for articulating your perspective and maybe in a way that you haven't. And maybe you're saying to yourself, hey, you know who needs to hear this? This friend or family member, colleague, co-worker, classmate, whomever. I'm going to let them hear this episode and have June speak to them. He's pretty much saying what I wanted to say, and maybe I didn't employ the kind of language he did, or maybe I didn't have the statistics he did, or maybe the argument that he had, but I agree, and someone needs to hear this. So even the people who don't agree, let's, it, let's, let's have a conversation. We're going to get back to even people who don't agree. We're going to get back to that, because this is, it, it, it uh, kind of falls in line with this show. Before we get started, a little housekeeping, a little upkeep, where are my manners? OneLavi.com, O-N-E-L-A-V-I.com is where I go to get my nutrients, my nutritional supplements to supplement our um, our new our nutrient deficient food in the Western Hemisphere, as we like to call it in America specifically nutrient deficient food. So we do need what 
we need to boost our immune systems with nutrient-dense supplements. That's why I go to OneLavi.com for my honey, for my 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 supplements, my proteins, uh, 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 my cognitive capsules for my mind, keep me sharp, keep me alert. I go to OneLavi.com. Also go to Lenore Batista's uh, 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 ChavezHouse.com for Lenore Batista's journals. Check them out. We have a ton of journals and a ton of notebooks and a ton of books and items that we think that you would enjoy. So please, if you're on Amazon, go to Chavez House Publishing and you will find all of our stuff. It's either going to be under Chavez House Publishing or Lenore Batista, but definitely check Chavez House Publishing. Or you can go to ChavezHouse.com. We have a Haiti notebook. It's an awesome notebook. It just has the Haitian flag on the cover and says Sak Passe, which means what's up in Haitian Creole. And proceeds of that particular journal are going to help the people that are in Haiti who have been affected, negatively impacted by the earthquake that occurred there a couple of months ago. Also, if you would like to donate directly to the show or to Haiti Relief or both, my cash app is dollar sign, the dollar sign, June Bow, dollar sign, J-U-N-B-E-A-U. You can find me at J-U-N-B-E-A-U either on cash app or on Venmo. If, you, if that is your source, uh, your, uh, that's the way you transfer funds. Please, please feel free <clears throat> because um, a lot of things are going on and um, I'm, I'm looking to see if I can move the needle with actions taking actions i've told you before in a previous episode i may find myself down in texas at some point this year before the year's out to take a look and get on the ground of what's going on with the haitian migrants if anyone needs food or clothing because winter is coming haitian people are coming from an extremely tropical climate it's very warm even in wintertime, temperatures are 80, 90 degrees. I know that personally because I've been, I've, I've had New Year's Eves and Christmases in Haiti and it was 88 degrees on January 1st. Um, they're probably ill-prepared for the winter temperatures. So I may do a clothing drive, but the money does help. So if you want to send something via Cash App and you want to say June, you want to put in the, the liner notes, the linear notes, this is for Haiti Relief. I'll, it'll all go to Haiti Relief. If you want to say, use a portion for the show, this is for Whose World Is This? You can put show slash Haiti. Okay, it'll go to both. Okay? Because when I do go to Texas, if I do go to Texas, I'm bringing clothes, I'm bringing rice, I'm bringing, rice, I'm bringing beans, I'm bringing corn, I'm bringing the vegetables that I know Haitian people like to eat and cook with. I'm going to bring warm clothes because winter is coming people winter is coming it's very interesting so if you're a returning listener you already know that i like to name my episodes and from the name of those episodes is where the rants come in um you know oftentimes it's pretty much off the cuff you know i get an idea swirling in my head and i have a lot of information based on that idea either already on my head in my head but every once in a while i'll you know check my dates and times and things of that nature just to make sure that I'm being accurate. Um, today, I have a couple of notes because this is a continuation. This is part two of our previous episode, which was called Money is the Root, dot, dot, dot. 
what is money the root of? Now, if you're a if you're a first time listener, you may want to go back and listen to that episode before you enter into this episode. But this is still a standalone episode. It's not like it's a it's a sequel to a movie and it's you know, you need to. go. But I would like you to go back and listen. But if you just want to ride this wave right now and listen, please feel free. <clears throat> it's fine with me. So this is part two. Money is the root. But I'd like to segue to something I said earlier when I mentioned that even if people do not agree, because I like to send my friends that I may disagree with them on particular points, I like to send them information. If someone is saying something in the way, maybe that more effective than I was there, they made a more effective, a more substantive argument than I was able to, I'll send it and I'll say, this is what I was trying to say. Whether it's a, 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 a quotation, whether it's a video, I'll timestamp it and say, listen, from two minutes, such and such to this. That's what I'm speaking about. And um, or I'll find dates and times and things. And I do that a lot because the great thing about having an open mind, such as I do, is that what I'm saying is open for debate. It's open for counters. If you have a better reality, I am going to subscribe to the best and the highest truth possible. That's what I'm on this planet for so far. I don't know what other reason I'm here. Subscribe to the highest truth that I can attain and that I can imagine. So if someone introduces a better truth than the one that I have subscribed to, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to let go of my lower truth and, and latch on to that higher truth. Even if that higher truth goes, just shakes me to my core and I have to let go of certain things of that, the, the truth that I had that sort of subsidized my self-esteem or my confidence or whatever, it doesn't matter. If your truth is a higher truth, that's the truth that I'm going with until a higher one comes along. If there no higher one comes along, then that's fine. That'll be the truth. And so when the counters come and the counters aren't effective enough to knock my higher truth down to a lower truth, then the higher the truth that I have subscribed to at that particular moment will be the one that I will stick to. Reason why I bring that up. It's because there's a politician, a former politician. His name is John Anderson. He's the uh, former deputy prime minister of Australia. And he said something that I was listening to recently. He was on a uh, show. I can't remember who he was on a show with, but I remember I texted myself, which I do often. I text myself often little notes and quips and tidbits of things that are going on. And he said... New public policy needs a good debate. Not in so many words. I, I know I'm chopping up what he said, but he said that. And I thought to myself, huh, that's interesting because that doesn't happen as often as it should. Right. He said that public policy deserves a good debate and you can't have good policy without a robust debate reason why i bring that up is because I've, i got into a lively discussion with a friend of mine a couple of days ago about economic shutdowns i'm sorry not economic shutdown shutdowns as 
pertaining to the shutdowns that have occurred in this country that, that the government um, mandated that businesses be closed and things of that nature and um, these sort of public policies were brought upon unilaterally um, and businesses were shut down and it didn't seem to be much of a debate. People thought we were in some sort of emergency situation so we had to act fast. And a friend of mine said that we didn't shut down early enough. Meanwhile, this person is living in a state that is now officially underwater economically. And no one can say for sure if those shutdowns actually stopped the numbers of people that were sick, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what we do know, what's actual and factual, is that that person's state right now is in a situation where they have a fiscal crisis now due to shutdowns. Good public policy deserves lively and robust debate. And I told that person the only way that shutdowns would have made sense if the government was going to guarantee that every person affected, every business affected by said shutdown would be compensated 100 penny, pennies, sorry, pennies on the dollar for every dollar they were going to lose. If they could prove from the last year at the other, the, the year before said shutdown, they can show the receipts of what they were making and say, hey, listen, this is what I was making 12 months to the day before the shutdown. So if you're going to shut me down, are you going to shut down my expenses? Are you going to stop my car insurance people from calling me? my cell phone people from calling me, my car note people from calling me, my landlord from demanding their rent or their mortgage, my credit cards, my student loans, my bank, my business loan. Are you going to have a moratorium on those? Are you, gonna, are you now going to subsidize me so I can live? If not, what are you talking about? Give me sickness before you give me this economic affliction. And many, many a businesses now are fighting back. Many, many a citizens right now are going to court. A lot of things are happening in the world. Reason why I bring that up is because good public policy can't happen without a good, robust debate. There has not been that in this country and in many other countries. The robust Debate did not occur. And what we're seeing now is the aftermath. But you haven't seen it yet. You're going to see it. You're going to see the lawsuits. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to see citizens versus the United States government. You're going to see citizens versus. You're going to see Department of Justice. You're going to see a lot of robust debates now happening in the legal system. You're going to see it, and we're going to talk about it. We're not going to just pluck things out the news like a lot of, like I said, I don't do the low-hanging fruit. We're not going to just pluck things just straight out the news just because and see if we can get the algorithm to pick it up or hashtag it somewhere. We're not going to do that. But this is important because the things that we speak about are going to deal with broader issues, obviously, broader than just what's going on at 9.30 p.m. on whatever night or whatever the case may be goes back to money is the root of. And if you heard the last episode, I said money is not the root of anything. Money is only a metric 
that is used to accurately depict or accurately portray who it is that the individual is who has or does not have money. That's all it is. It's leverage. It's leverage. So when I hear people today, I have a lot of friends of mine, a lot of friends who are telling me, June, um, things are real out there. I can't quit this job now. They want me to do this jabber job thing and I don't want to get jabbed for my job and I don't know what to do. I send them history books. I send them Mother Jones. Look at your labor movement in this country and the people who bled and took to the streets just to get the eight-hour work day as opposed to working 16 hours. The people who died on the job for you to get OSHA and safety precautions at the job. Okay? The, the people who died for you to have unemployment insurance. Who fought the robber barons and the bankers and the industrialists that wanted to keep the American worker at a 12 to 16 hour day. They said if you reduce the work day we're going to lose everything. And those people took to the streets and were killed by police and they were killed by henchmen that were that were that were hired by those same bankers and same industrialists that are today telling you jabber job do it or else your forefathers your employment or employee ancestors would have taken to the streets just saying not saying you should or shouldn't, not advocating one way or another way, but I'm saying if you're someone who's thinking that you're between a rock and a hard place, you're not. You're not. You are not. You have leverage. You have a little bit of collective bargaining. Granted, you've allowed yourself to live in a country that now has the lowest union membership in 100 years. You used to have a robust union membership in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and in your early part of the 70s. But now, you know, due to corporate blockbusting and the complacency of the American citizen, you've allowed yourself to put yourself in a position where you're working at these jobs that are right to work or at will. And now you have no leverage. You go to your human resource department. The human resource department is only an offshoot and it's an extension and an appendage of the company that you work at. They're not on your side. Their job is to make sure that the company is in compliance and that you are in compliance. That's it. So anytime there's some employee relations department, that's window dressing. Because there's no way if let's say it would be in your best interest to strike with your human resource department at your job. Say, listen, you know what? You're not getting paid enough. Would someone from human resources come to you and say, hey, listen, Jane, you're not getting paid enough. You're not nearly getting paid with GB. How, how, how late did they want you to work the other night? Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to have to get you overtime, double time, insurance time, this time, that time, hazard pay, et cetera, et cetera. I think you should strike. That's never happened in the history of human resource. I think, matter of fact, your whole department should strike. No, 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 no. That's not what happens. So guess what? When you see employee relations and there's no union and there's no true arbitrator, 
that you're paying dues to, to advocate on your behalf, all you're doing is going to work. All you're doing is going to your human resource office and just putting things down as a matter of record, just in case you want to actually take it to a labor lawyer or some sort of independent arbitrator. That's all you're doing. That's all you're doing. You're on your own. You understand me? You, if you have a problem with how things are going, you need to knock on your neighbor's door. Do you know your neighbor, by the way? Do you know your neighbor? You know, you're working longer hours. A lot of people, they're working longer hours. You get home, you have just enough time. If you have kids, you have just enough time to spend a hot second with your kids. You know, microwave a hot pocket, put it in their bellies. Everybody washes their behind, goes to sleep, and then goes to work the next day. And then over the weekend, you're handling your errands because you're working 40 hours a week. One third of your waking day is being spent either getting ready for work, commuting to work, working or getting home from work 24 hours in a day you're spending eight to ten of them doing that who has time to know thy neighbor hmm because maybe if you did get to know your neighbor and to create little associations and communities in your neighborhood then guess what you'd find you'd find a lot of people with like minds and then you guys get to sit at the kitchen table and decide once and for all i think we need to do things differently are you ready yet? A lot of you are home is the reason why I'm speaking like this. A lot of you are home, working from home, having opportunities to take a break and take a walk and do a little exercise and maybe stretch in your front yard or backyard or if you live in an apartment complex, just get some air outside of your building or outside of your apartment. And you get to see your neighbors more than you probably ever had before. You get to walk your dog in the middle of the day. Huh? Wow. Interesting. Your kids are at school probably if you have kids. I'm speaking to people right now that have parents. I mean, I'm sorry, that are parents. I'm speaking to people right now that are parents. Yeah. You know, money is not the root. But money is leverage. What is it that you want? Time is the root. Money is not the root. Money is a metric. If you think of money as being something scarce and whatever, that's just a, that's a reflection of the confidence you have of the leverage that you have in the marketplace. If you don't, oh, I got I to keep this job because this is the job and it's got great, it has great benefits. Really, a lot of jobs have benefits. Maybe you, maybe you need to stop worrying about these so-called benefits that they can giveth and taketh away from you and create some other benefits for yourself. Because if it's put you in a position right now that you're between a rock and a hard place, that you're not being treated like a whole human being that can make decisions as to your body and what you do with it. <sighs> benefits. What benefits are those? That's the ultimate benefit. Are you being treated like a three-dimensional human being? Or are you being treated like something that's on the other end of a leash? Hmm? Excuse me for speaking this way. It's because I am getting a lot of people. <laughs> I have a lot of friends, colleagues, coworkers that listen to this. And I'm speaking to them and others all at once. The people that are for or against. I have a lot of people that have reached out to me via email. Oh, yeah, that email address again is whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. Our Instagram is whose world is this 2021. 
Um, yeah, I forget to do that. I'm so ready to get into these conversations that I forget that I have to give you guys my contact. Luckily, a friend of mine has kept me on point. They keep telling me, June, don't ever forget. Don't forget. Tell people your contact. Tell people you're this. Tell people you're that. Because, you know, you want to get the audience accustomed to emailing, being engaged, the people, these people in this ongoing conversation. Maybe they want to keep this conversation going past the 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Make sure you give them the email address. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I know. Yeah, I'm so ready because like I've told you guys before, I treat this like a conversation on the phone. And when you're on the phone with a person or you're having a conversation with a person, you're not saying, oh, yeah, you know, uh, take a second and email me just in case, you know, you want to speak further. I, I treat this as if I'm speaking to a person on the phone directly. This is why I enjoy doing this. And the reason why I'm speaking about this right now, some people can say, is June vax, is, is June pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-mandate, anti-mandate? No, I am pro-worker. I'm saying no to all of it. I'm pro-worker. I'm pro-rights. I'm pro-certain pro freedoms. And I know I'm pro uh, people, I'm pro-choice, <laughs> so to speak. Okay? So with that being said, that's where I am. When I look at things that disproportionately put employees in a position where they have to do something or else, as much of a businessman as I am and an entrepreneur as I am and the system that I'm in, which is capitalism, puts an employer and an employee in an antagonistic adversarial dynamic because an employer doesn't want to pay you a lot. Why? Because the more they pay you, the less they have in their pocket. They want to work you. That's our system right now. That, that's just the system. That's not any, no boss is a villain. No employer is a villain in that regard. That's how the system is created. It's not a cooperative egalitarian system where the employee has equity and cetera, et cetera. The better the company does, the better they do. No, they get a pat on the back and a Pizza Hut gift card. You don't do better when the company does better. The boss does better, but the boss did better because you helped get the company to where it is. But eh, that's not how this system works. You give your sweat equity, but you get no equity. That's just the system. That's the system. I'm not, I'm a businessman. I understand it. I, I, I am, it's, it's like kissing with your eyes open. If you're kissing someone with your eyes open, it means you don't fully trust that person. When you give, you kiss with your eyes closed and you go, ah, and you let out that sigh, I trust. In this system is like kissing with your eyes open. If I ever decide to fill out a resume and go to a job and they start saying we're like family, et cetera, et cetera, we are kissing with our eyes open. I know I am. Don't fall for the okie dokie. That's what it is. That's fine. So even as a businessman, I know I'm supposed to be on the side of of ownership and management, and, and but I'm on the side of the worker. I It doesn't always have to be so over-leveraged where the employee feels downtrodden, feels as if they're not being treated like a whole human being.
which is what's happening right now, which is what's happening. But listen to me. The reason why this is happening is because there's always going to be this antagonistic adversarial relationship. The problem is the employee forgot that it was an antagonistic adversarial relationship. The employer works tirelessly and diligently minute after minute, hour after hour, day by day, year by year. They give hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to their politicians to make sure that unions and arbitration and collective bargaining and any leverage that the employee can have is squashed in its in its in its conceptual womb you as the worker if you are a worker out there you forgot you were at war i said it in the last episode why is it that when i worked on wall street on the desk of every one of these hedge fund managers and stock brokers and salesmen was the art of war by Sun Tzu. Books about strategy and how to crush your opponent. Reading Confucius, but not the Confucius that was speaking about peace. No, the, the, the Confucius that was the pragmatist speaking about the machinations between government, power, and the people. That Confucius. Reading Niccolo Machiavelli, the prince. Reading Robert E. Greene's 48 laws of power this is what was on the desk of the employers the owners the handlers they knew that they were at war but the employee shakes hands after they get hired they get told that they're part of the family they give one third of their day week month year life forgetting that they were at war. And then the day comes when they're told, do this or else. And then they go, what the heck is happening? I'm speaking not uh, uh, hypothetically. These are the conversations that I'm having on the phone with friends as we speak. Like, June, what's going on? June, what's going on? And I tell them, the American worker took their foot off the gas. American corporate, American business and government never takes their foot off the gas. The American worker did. Your wage, your money as the root, you haven't really made any more money since the 70s. Adjusted for inflation, you've only had an increase in pay of 17%. Yet, American labor has created 77 more, 77 percent more productivity in the last 40 years. You've given the system 70 plus percent more productivity and you've gotten a 17 percent return. What? Sounds like a net loss of about no, no, 60 percent. They're saying adjusted for inflation. And I've read this and I've looked at the stats. A lot of people like to say adjusted for inflation, the American worker should be making about $20 an hour. It's about right. Anywhere between about, depending on where you live, between about 18 and 22 an hour. Yeah, it's about right. Minimum wage. Just for you to afford a little place to live. 
gasoline in your car because we don't have a public transportation system nationwide that's worth anything. So you got to have a car. You got to have a car. So when you go to when you go to live in these places, I remember there was a, a, a little job I was going to get just as a part time thing to subsidize. And I, and I asked, here I am. I'm a college graduate. I'm a man of a certain age. I'm a man of a certain experience. And I was looking at this wage that they were looking to give me. And I said, wow, it's a little low for the responsibility. He said, yeah, you know, based on the cost of living, you know, that's why I said cost of living. What does that mean? I said, because I would still need a car. I still need a car to take me from point A to point B. I would still need um, car insurance, gasoline fuel in the car and the rent is still no matter where you are is still going to be over one thousand dollars a month most likely to live in a decent neighborhood where you're not getting your head chopped off in most of america you're going to be paying somewhere between 13 and 1800 dollars a month on average in most parts of the country most parts of the country that are paying that are actually that actually has employment that has job opportunities that can sustain a living wage so when they say things like cost of living, it's like, wait a minute, as long as I'm in a place where I don't have where I need a car, you have to pay me commensurate to that. You know, a car is going to cost you how much? Three hundred a month plus gas plus insurance going to be four or five hundred dollars a month just for the car, just to get the car on the road. That's but without maintenance. Ah, really now. So this is important, people. This is important. Why is it important? Because I'm telling you that money is not the root. I'm saying that money is an opportunity, is a metric to measure what kind of human being you are. Hmm? Do you look at this world as an abundant world or you look at this world as a scarce world? How much confidence do you have in yourself to say, you know what? I think I need a change. I think I need to knock on the doors of my neighbors and ask them, what do you think about what's going on? Do you have any ideas? What is it that we should be doing or not doing? What, what did we do wrong? It's time for the American worker to have a collective soul search. The ones that are in, that are vehemently opposed to certain things that are going on. Those workers, everybody else who's okay with it, then be okay with it. And for those who were okay with getting jabbed but not mandated, you need to stand in solidarity with those that are completely opposed to the mandate and saying and are taking a stand. What are you doing? What are you doing to support the people out there that are out there marching, that are out there getting fired from their jobs? Because they don't want to take certain things and put things into their body that they're not entirely sure of. What are you what are, what are you doing? Hmm? Are you are you willing to stand in solidarity even though you've been jabbed? Are you willing to say, you know what? I, I took it because it was my choice to do so. But I am vehemently 100 percent opposed to mandates. You should be out with a picket sign as well. You should have those massive sick outs like I saw uh, in an article. Uh, I think Southwest Airline had over five, six hundred cancellations because people were taking their sick days because Southwest Airlines said that everyone has to be jabbed by November or they run the risk of losing their jobs. So uh, many people, many of those employees, I'm assuming they started taking their sick days and their vacation days because they're saying, I am not getting jabbed, so I might as well start my vacation now. 
Oh boy. I like it because I'm, I want to see response to stimuli. Remember, good policy. Cannot have good policy without a good debate. John Anderson, former deputy prime minister of Australia from 1990 something, I think 1980 something to 2005. Man is about 64 years old now. Okay. He is upset about how Australia is locked down and shut down because he doesn't feel that there was a good enough debate to bring about the response and the reaction of the government and the policy. The policies flawed based on the fact that there wasn't a good enough debate. All the data was not weighted correctly. So that's what I've been saying. I just say I like data. I'm a data guy. I don't I don't move off of fear and apprehension and certain stimuli. I move off of data patterns. That's how my mind works. So based on data and patterns, I believe that things were not handled correctly. I don't believe that a shutdown should have occurred at all. Whoa, yes, I said it. I said it. It was handled ham-handedly. If it was for uh, some other reasons why it was handled this way, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying if I'm just going to look at it as a pedestrian, as an observer, as a passenger, I would say, no, th this was handled wrong. Is there is there some sort of other reason why these shutdowns and these things are occurring? Is it some is it to get an aggregate average of who is uh, 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 going to be more compliant under certain Pavlovian responses? I don't know. I'm not going to go there. Not now. <laughs> We're not going there today. However, I don't know. But you're now what I want is what I'd like to see happen. Truthfully, would you like to know my intent? Would you like to know what I'd like to see happen? I want the American worker to take a long, hard look in the mirror and ask themselves, what do they want this 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 next hundred years of employment to look like? Because let me tell you something. In the next 10 to 20 to 30 years, in the next two decades, employment is going to fundamentally change in America due to automation. It's already changed a great deal. But guess what? Many people were sold a lie about technology. Many people in the late 90s, in the Internet, in the 2000s were told that technology is going to free up the American citizen and worker to think about other things and partake in hobbies and things of that nature. That didn't happen. They gave you a cell phone at your job and now you're tethered to the cell phone. Your job gave you a laptop. So now instead of working eight to five, you're getting emails at home and you're working eight to eight. Huh? So this technology now is tracking you in a way. It's making you more, it's making you tethered to your company as if you're living in feudal England. What are we talking about? You're tethered to your gig more than ever before. They're getting more productivity out of you by you answering those emails after hours and not getting paid. Remember what we talked about? 77% more productivity from the American worker. Hmm? And you've only gotten a 17% return. That's not a return. That's a loss of about 60% 
Do the math, people. Do the math. Technology right now so far has not been your friend. Now you can. Now you're working from home. Now you're freelancing. Now you have these little gig economies. Now you have people who've decided to leave their 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 uh, four-walled structure abodes and they're taking to the van life. They're converting school buses and putting internet and Wi-Fi on school buses and vans and converting them and putting septic tanks and bathroom systems and living on the road and going where they want to go. They're deciding they're going to be in Arizona and work from their Wi-Fi connection. And next stop, Colorado Springs. Next spot, next stop, Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's leverage. Uh-oh. That's leveraging the technology to your advantage so you can create a better work-life balance. Work-life balance. Work-play balance. Work-hobby balance balance work relationships balance so you can decide that you're going to work four to five hours today so 24 hours in a day you're giving more than a third of your time to an employer that you don't have any equity at that job you've been over leveraged you've been over leveraged over the last hundred years if you're not getting equity in a company you should be working only a quarter of the day for your employer. A full time day at work should be six hours out of 24. Anything over that should be time and a half, double time or triple time. And if you are consistently working more than that six hours, then you have to have a conversation be like, hey, listen, um, I've noticed that um, I've been working a couple of extra hours. I've been getting my double time. I like it. Thank you for those extra two hours. It's, it's helped. But if I'm going to consistently work these hours, we're going to have to speak about equity. You know, I'm, I might, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of need to, you know, know, am I going to be making more money as this company makes more money? Hmm? You need me more hours. So that means you're taking more of my time. Your time, ladies and gentlemen, is your leverage. You have been over leveraged and overworked. You don't have any time for hobbies. You don't have any time to spend with your family. These school systems and their flawed educational matrix, these iPads, these tablets, these television shows, and the internet is, is raising your babies because you've given a disproportionate amount of your 24 hour day to employers that have not given you an equitable stake based on the amount of time that you've given them. Excuse my theatrics, but I'm so filled with information. I have said it since I was a teenager. I said, mom, the work day is too long. I didn't know about the labor union, I'm sorry, the labor fights that, that this country had when I said that. I didn't, I didn't know. My mom just thought I was crazy. Bless her heart. She said, June, just, she just didn't want to hear it. She was like, and she would listen. My mom was a great listener. And she was just looking at me like, my eldest son is a nut. But I'm not. I'm not. Because guess what I was talking about? I remember I had a job that gave me a fancy new cell phone. I was like, oh, yeah. But I thought to myself, 
Why are they giving me a cell phone? I have a phone at my desk. And immediately, immediately after getting this cell phone, I'm talking about two days later, I was like, yo, I went literally back to the office because they said, hey, you, you know, your new position, you're going to get a cell phone. I was like, oh, cool. But I thought to myself, why? Because I'm at work and I have a phone at my desk. You can call me at my desk. And I thought to myself, I hope these people don't think they're going to call me when I'm home. Because guess what? I don't think about you when I'm home because I'm not making any other money. The only reason I should be thinking about my job if I'm home is if I have equity in that place and I'm making money while I'm sleeping or I'm losing money while I'm sleeping. But because I already put in and I'm only getting paid a certain amount of time, a certain amount of uh, uh, money for a certain amount of hours allotted, then when I leave, I'm not thinking about you. As long as the structure is still standing in there the next day, that's all I care about. I, because I'm not given anything else to care about. That's thinking like a business person. That's how your employer thinks. But your employer does not want you to think like an employer and really maximize your time. It's not the money, ladies and gentlemen, that's the root. It's not. Before there was money, there were a lot of things. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is just another form of exchange and another form of leverage. If you were a Cro-Magnon man and you were bigger and stronger than the other Cro-Magnon man, you took a club and you beat him over the head for his woman. Or, you beat, or if you were stronger, you would beat the woman over the head and drag her and say, you're mine. Guess what? Leverage is the key. What are we going to do in 2021 to capture leverage? What is the American worker going to do? That's the skin that I have in this fight. Me, I'm an employer. <laughs> I'm going to make my money because I have several corporate entities. So I'll find a way to eat. I'm going to find a way to eat. I always do. I always do. But if you're giving an employer right now eight, nine, ten hours a day and then you give them your blood, your sweat, your tears, you give them the majority of your most vital time, the daytime. If you live in New York City or a place that has daylight savings time, sometimes you get ready for work. It's dark outside. Six, five, six, seven a.m. It's still dark in New York City. I'm from New York City. And I remember getting ready to go to work at six, seven a.m. And then leaving that job at 6, 7 p.m. And it was dark. And they have something called, um, I think it's called uh, seasonal adjustment disorder. It's called SAD. They have a name for it in New York. I don't know if it's in other places. It's called SAD. You have seasonal adjustment disorder. And it usually happens during daylight savings time in the fall because the average New Yorker doesn't live in Manhattan where most of the jobs are. So you have to commute 30, 40, 50 minutes, sometimes an hour plus because I lived in, in Queens, New York, which is an outer borough. And it took me about an hour plus to get to particular jobs using public transportation. If I was using a car, I'd be there in 25 minutes. But hey, that's another story. Too expensive to drive back and forth into Manhattan and pay 30, 40 dollars a day in parking. That's nuts and deal with traffic. So you take the public transportation and you stand there like everybody else trapped like sardines, you know, 
you um, being uh, cramped into a subway car with the wonderful aroma of perfume and, and morning breath. That's what you go into work with. And they pack you in and then you get off the train like these little tiny rodents and you're running up the stairs to go to these jobs. But it's dark when you left the house. It's dark when you left. The, it's dark in your train. You're underground. Then you come up from underground. It's still dark. The sun is just peeking out. Then you go into a building and you're in a cubicle. No windows. You don't get the window window office. You're not there yet. So you don't get to know if it's sunny outside and you have your lunch in the cafeteria. Why? Because you can't afford to eat in Manhattan. And by the time you get into the elevator, go all the way downstairs, run to your delicatessen and wait on that long line to get your food like everyone else. There goes your lunchtime. So you know what you do? You bring your own lunch or you eat in the company cafeteria. And by the time you leave the job, the sun has already set. You get out, you look up, sun's gone. Go into the train, go downstairs, go home. It's dark and you are sad. You have seasonal adjustment disorder or something along those lines. Wow. Wow. As opposed to saying, hey, listen, um, yeah, so 24 hours in a day, um, if we're really serious in this country about this work life balance situation, my time being the most important commodity that I have because I can't get it refunded and I can't get it back. You can get me back pay. You can give me back this. I can sue you for restitution. You can do a lot of things to get money. You can't get time back. So right now it's an important time an important time i think that's going to be our next episode it's time to root of something we'll see this is an important time this could be a watershed moment and i'm going to be the, i'm not going to say i'm the first to say it but i'm going to get in front if i'm not the first i'm at least going to say i'm in uh, i'm going to say the things that's not being said because we're constantly hearing oh people don't want to work oh yeah there's a job market out there and people don't want to work no people don't want to work 40 hours a week for those wages just to be on a treadmill going nowhere they can't get in front of their bills they can't get in front of their loans they can't get in front of the cost of living of just breathing and being an American citizen. And they're saying to themselves, what is the absolute point of this? You want me to work these hours at these wages? And guess what? People are saying, eh, I don't know. I don't think I want to do that. You have a minimum wage of about seven, eight, not seven, eight dollars an hour. Is it seven twenty-five still? In 2021, really? Really, people still make that money? Okay, so what do you expect people to do? You want people to come in to work for those wages? Every hour they are working, they're losing money. They're losing the race. They're losing the fight against their bills. They're being over leveraged. Their time is over leveraged. You want someone to work for eight bucks an hour? For 40 hours a week? Okay, the average cell phone bill is like 40, 50 bucks, right? Okay, you need internet. You can't do anything without the web these days, right? These kids that are home from school, 
they need internet. They need a viable internet connection with all the things and the programs and the, and the apps and the security things that a lot of these teachers want to, you know, want to, want to uh, implement in their apps and in the, in the computer systems and things. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? That takes money. And if your time is being over leveraged at jobs that aren't even paying enough to pay for the expenses that it takes to be a first worlder in the United States, what's the purpose of this gig? So what I'm asking is, it's not about money. The answer is, is money the root of all evil? No. Leverage is the root to everything. <laughs> Leverage is the root. You're not going to get what you you're not going to get what you deserve in this life. You're going to get what you negotiate. You're going to get what you think you deserve. So if you walk into these offices and say, well, I think I deserve a raise. I think I deserve this. I think I deserve that. Guess what? You're not going to get it. You're only going to get it if you look at yourself and you look at the marketplace and go, you know what? What do I need to do to over leverage, to, to, to add more leverage to my situation? And you have to think like a business person. You are a business entity. You are a whole human being. And you have to look at yourself and say, my time is my most valuable resource and commodity. What am I doing with it? Am I, quote, unquote, wasting my time? You're working too many hours. That's first and foremost. You got to turn your work day from eight to six. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to add a little wrinkle to that. You need to add your commute as part of your six-hour work day. Yeah, I said it. Because getting to work is work. Getting prepared for work is work. The reason why I'm having this conversation is I'm trying to give you a 101 lesson on collective bargaining. So I'm hoping that people will start employing this in conversations. Why am I saying that? Because remember that cell phone? And I remember telling my mom, I don't want this job because this job gave me a cell phone. Imagine how crazy I sound to my mother. Bless her beautiful heart and soul. I'm like, Mom, I don't want this job. June, what are you talking about? I'm like, Mom, they gave me a cell phone. Okay, so what? You know what a cell phone means? What, Mom? That means they want to call me. She's like, okay. I said, calling me is work. Okay. I said, Mom, I got, a, I got a phone at the desk. I have a phone at the desk they gave me. Why did they give me a cell phone? And if they're calling me after hours, am I going to get money? I don't even have a bonus with this job. And they're giving me a cell phone? What the heck do you need from me after hours? Because you're literally calling me after hours. She's looking at me like I'm crazy. Seven years later, after I quit that job, France passes a law and says, if you are going to call a worker after hours, every minute is considered overtime. Kaboom. They're, that means they're still on the clock. So if you're going to give them laptops and give them work to do at home, that means you are paying them for that time. It's work. You are taking their time. I remember, set, I remember showing my mom this article. I said, Mom, do you remember a conversation we had years ago when I quit that job? She didn't even remember. She's like, no. I was like, geez. So I couldn't even make my point and be like, Mom, I told you so. But it was a reaffirmation that I was not crazy. If you look it up. So what I'm saying to you right now is getting to work is work. When you get out of bed in the morning, you don't roll out of bed into your job. If your job starts at 8 a.m., do you roll out of bed and start working? No. 
No, the work begins when you get out of bed and you decide to become hygienically and aesthetically presentable for that job. Hygienically presentable. You will have a non-offensive fragrance on, right? Means you washed, you brushed your teeth, you washed your face, you combed your hair if you have it. You put on clothes, other clothes besides your sleeping clothes. Not your boxer shorts if you're a guy or basketball shorts or a t-shirt or if you're a woman, whatever nightgownage situation you have. No, that's not what you, or your fuzzy slippers. It's not what happened. You changed clothes, right? And then you commuted. That's work. Prepping for work, getting to work is work. Did you hear what I just said? These are the things I want people to start employing. I know this pod, this this show, this cast is usually I'm speaking about you know other things and bringing in Einstein and Max Planck and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard into it. We're not going to do that. We're going to speak. I could bring in a little Marx. I could bring in a little Adam Smith, a little David Ricardo into this conversation. Maybe a little, uh, a couple of other economists and things. I could do that, but I'm just going to speak plain. We're not going to. We're not going to just. I'm just speaking from a perspective that I know works and is more egalitarian than the system you have in place right now. You have a zero leverage in the marketplace. Do you understand? Have you been to your local supermarket? How many cashiers do you see there? And how much self-checkout do you see there? Hmm? The American labor force right now is being over leveraged by the technology, by the fact that first and foremost, the technology, secondly, your jobs have been outsourced. If you're just doing customer service on a phone and a computer, and your only claim to fame is that you're a native English speaker, there are a lot of places in this country, that, uh, in this world that speak English or can learn English. You know that personally, correct? You've been on the phone, you've been on the phone with customer service and you've heard someone on the other end of that customer service line with a very thick foreign a accent. And it's fairly obvious that that person is speaking English as a second language. English is not their native tongue. Guess what? If your only skill set is that you are a native English speaker and you think that that's going to take you someplace, you, let's see how far that's going to take you. <laughs> it is not going to take you too far. I, there are very few companies right now that are not outsourcing their customer service and their back-end work and IT work to foreign countries where there is a contingent that is educated and can speak English well enough for the average American to understand them. And they are getting paid a mere pittance in comparison to what you're getting paid here. For them, it could be a higher cost of living or a higher quality of life based on their wage. But let me tell you something. You thought you were going to get your $15, $20, $25 an hour for that job. That person is getting $15 a week for your job. What you're, getting it, what you're demanding an hour, they're getting in a week. And they speak English too. So you're going to have to step your skill game up because the world is a changing. I got a friend of mine right now who lives in a, in a Cambodia. He's learning English off YouTube before people had to come from certain families and be able to go to a private school and learn English and et cetera, et cetera. 
this kid has a Wi-Fi connection and he's speaking English. He hits me on WhatsApp and we just I speak English with him. Okay, he's going to have your customer service job. So another thing you're going to have to do is create leverage. How are you going to educate yourself to make yourself more marketable and have leverage in the marketplace? And then you're going to have to ask yourself, going back to what I said before, understand what your time means to you. So I said six hours is all you should be allotting to a job full time. That's including me getting to work. That means when I step into the building, I'm giving you five hours. It took me a half hour to get aesthetically and hygienically acceptable, and it took another 30 minutes to commute here. That was work. So I'm getting paid for that hour. So if I'm supposed to be at work at 8, guess what? Yeah, I'm going to be at work at 8, but I'm not working 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. Mm -mm. That would be six hours. No, no, no. I'm counting 7 a.m. when I had to get up. The average person is going to take them 30 minutes to get ready for work. And the average commute in the United States is 30 minutes to your job. That's a full hour. I'm getting paid from 7 a.m. So I'm, you have me to work from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's 9, 10, 11, 12, 1. I'm working in the building for five hours and I'm getting paid for the hour it took for me to get to work. I know that sounds ridiculous, but guess what? You know what was, guess what? Be something that's non-conventional or unconventional thought is always considered ridiculous when it's first introduced. Okay? And so once you step away, once you step out of non-conventional or, or conventional wisdoms and general consensus, it sounds ridiculous at first. But think about it. Getting to work, prepping for work is work. So all the people that are spending an hour and change to get to a job, then to spend eight more hours at that job and spending another hour to get back, you're constantly giving time away to the job that you're really not getting any work, you're not getting any money from. No. If you are a true business person and you, the business is you, you are a businesswoman. Your business is you. You're a woman. You're, you're a businesswoman. Your, your business is you. You're a man. You're a businessman. Your business is you as a man. And it's your job to fight for as much work, play, work, life balance as humanly possible. Because you're in the position that you're in because you took your foot off of the proverbial gas and labor lost, ownership won, government won, and then you find yourself in 2021 taking to the streets saying, hell no, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, and other people saying, I'm just going to do it and put my head down because I can't do it because I don't have the leverage. And I, I ain't, oh, it's time to start using some unconventional wisdoms stepping out of general consensus and start asking yourself how do you want the next 10 20 30 years of labor to look like you guys are working from home now and that's nice but let me tell you remember something that america in the first world is one of the worst countries in stem in science and technology and math huh the rest of the world is ahead and even some third world countries are ahead Okay, so guess what? Whatever leverage that you have in the marketplace, you better start exercising it soon. 
lot of you need to get to know your neighbors so you can get some more information, get more resources, learn that there is strength in numbers and banding together. I know we live in a hyper individualistic society. Every single American fancies themselves a millionaire. We all think that we need six, seven, eight, nine streams of income. Think about how absurd it is, though. Think about it. Every time you turn on your Instagram or your YouTube, it's always some person saying, oh, yeah, you, if you don't have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve streams of income, you ain't doing it. Really? Why do I need so many streams of income? Why is my life a constant hustle? Where is this work life play balance where I get to think about the larger issues in life? Okay. Why is everything a commodity? Why is everything about how employable I am? Why can't this job just pay? <laughs> Why can't I get raises that are commensurate to the cost of living where I live, where I don't have to? No, no, can't, can't be that. I was uh, uh, looking at something. I was reading about kids coding. Um, you, you hear all of this stuff now about kids doing computer coding and there's kids coding academy and there's this big advocacy because we're, we're, we're in, entering into this technological age or we're in this technological age and kids need to know this, the language and the syntax of coding and such, et cetera. And now, I mean, that's been a prevailing narrative or popular narrative over the, I want to say the last, I don't know, more than almost 10 years now I've been hearing that. But now there's a counter to it. Now you have people that are in technology who have kids and are saying, no, keep kids far away from coding. What are we talking about? It's about piano lessons and sports and painting. Okay. And the arts, getting them into theater and dance things that allow them to use their imagination in this country we keep reinforcing this idea that if something is not a blatantly employable skill it's not valuable so if you're not commodifying every single last thing you do you can't even have a hobby anymore Remember when people used to knit? I remember I had this. I had a neighbor in New York. She used to knit stuff for us on Christmas and on my birthday. My birthday is in November. Christmas comes a month later. She'd knit us stuff. But now, and she just did it for the fun. But now, if you don't have, oh, how come you don't have an e-commerce store for that? You know that's a stream of income. And what if that person doesn't want to create some stream of income and now have to manage some sort of business and she's driving back and forth to USPS to mail off orders and people are reviewing and what if she doesn't want to do that? What if she's just a very gr a good knitter? And maybe her mother or her grandmother taught her or her great grandmother taught her. And every time she does, she knits for someone. It creates something that's intangible and a feeling inside of her. It gives her a certain kind of joy that you can't commodify or quantify. What happened to that? What happened to the things that we can't quantify or commodify or employ? Does everything have to be an employable skill? Can't we just learn a hobby for hobby's sake? Can I just learn how to bowl or learn how to shoot or learn how to, uh, I don't know, act, whatever? Anything? What happened to that? 
but you're in a country now that everything that you're doing, you're overworked, you're underpaid, you're under pressure, your, your, your work day is taking up a third of your whole existence. You're supposed to be sleeping eight hours. You're giving nine plus hours to the job when you consider prep, commute, work, and then to and fro. Hello. That's more than a third. It's more than a third. Okay. You, 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 you're stepping into almost 40% of your day. And then the other, what are we talking about? So right now, this conversation, I'm speaking to the people out there that are saying, man, I never thought about it like that. Wow, June, I've never actually thought about it. I've thought about it, but not enough. Yeah, the eight-hour workday was the great compromise. A lot of the people, oh, by the way, they were socialists and communists. I know these are bad words, but, you know, and in, in America, you know, but a lot of socialists and communists are the reason why you have your unemployment insurance, your PTOs, your things like that, whatever. You, they helped get your eight hour work day. Thank them whenever you get a chance, you know, and I'm not talking about your democratic socialists like Bernie Sanders, not those guys. Those are institutional. Th those are just fancy, sexy words. Th th they're not really the true to life Eugene V. Debsian sort of socialist. But that's another conversation. But all I'm all I'm saying is the eight hour workday was the great compromise. Many of them wanted five hours. They thought the five hour workday was full time employment because they were thinking the same thing I was thinking. It's 24 hours in a day. Why am I giving you a third? And I have to sleep eight hours. I have a family. I have community. I have things we have to. How am I supposed to read about what's going on in my government? How am I supposed to stay informed about the world? How am I supposed to make myself a more well-rounded human being in all aspects? Be a better husband if you're a man, being a better wife if you're a woman, being a better parent, being a better community citizen. If all I'm doing is giving the most valuable hours of the day to you and I'm not getting any equity in return. I'm getting this wage and you're looking at me saying I should be happy. I'm employed. Doesn't seem like that you're evolving, ladies and gentlemen. Technology is surpassing you. Technology took your job. You don't have any hobbies. You don't have any employable skills, really, for the 21st century. You've been relying on your language and the fact that these industrialists created this system of ours. And you got complacent. You got lazy. You took your foot off the gas and here you are in 2021, entering into 2022, looking around, shrugging your shoulders, wrinkles in your forehead, wondering what happened. This is where you are. The long, hard look in the mirror is now. What do you want the next 10, 15, 25 years 100 years of employment to look like let's not worry about 100 years we are going to be so augmented in technology in the next century you don't even know what that's going to look like between quantum technology where computers are making other computers that are thinking and reacting for themselves remember we spoke about this your resume is not being read by anyone that's a human in human resources your resume is being read by a computer that's looking for keywords if it doesn't fit in those keywords, it doesn't even get to the human. You are getting further and further away and distanced. You think we've been socially distanced <laughs> for the last 18 months or so? All these six feet apart? You have no idea how far you away from another human being right now. No idea. Technology has you further and further away from your job, 
further and further away from your colleagues, further and further away from having human experiences. You're, you're, you're watching life go by. You're voyeuristically scrolling through reels and videos and clips. But are you living this life? Or are you looking at other lives? Man. So money is not the root of all evil, as it says in Timothy. No, no, wrong. It's not. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Wrong, Timothy. Wrong. The Mesopotamian shekel that was first introduced 5,000 years ago and is considered the first true currency is not the root of all evil it's not the root we're not going to speak about the root of all evil but what we're going to say is money is not but you know what's evil wasting your time and allowing others to waste it for you complacency is an evil even if you're complacent, I'm not saying you're lazy. I'm not saying we're lazy. I'm saying that complacency has seeped into the hearts and the minds. It's just like our voting system. You sit around and I think a Henry David Thoreau, I can't, ah, oh man, I, I wish I knew that quote word for word. But when he says, I cast my vote in the hopes that my side wins. But if they don't, eh, I pay it. No, never mind. That's been our democracy. You cast your vote, and if your side wins, eh, great. If they lose, mm, you, you hip, hip, hooray. But when your side loses, how much do you really lose? The band still plays on. So there's a level of complacency with the American as a political animal and the American as an employee, as a worker, as a full-fledged human being. And now, the longer the hours are that you work, the more overworked that you are looking at these computer screens and sending out these thousand emails a day, are you taking time to read something that has nothing to do with your job? Are you reading the classics? Because your, 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 um, your educational system didn't give you the books that you were supposed to read. You were indoctrinated, not educated or illuminated. We've gotten that situated. <laughs> Sorry. Pardon the pardon the, the poetry or my failed attempt at. But that's what it is. The things. How many of you have read Wealth of Nations? How many of you have read Dev David Ricardo and the political economies? How many of you have read Ingalls and Mark? How I many of you have read the Exorchins when the Pope is speaking about capitalism and things like that? How many of you have read the, the constant exchanges when, 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 when the Industrial Revolution finally hit the United States and the, the, the constant debates about the wage and what is considered a living wage? This was going on in the 1800s, by the way. This is actually before the communists and the socialists came in, you know from Europe this is the, these are the these conversations were being had by men and women who owned land in this country it was like yo you're not going to reduce me to an hourly wage we're not doing that this was actual conversations that I, I'm pretty sure your history books I'm sorry your history books or the books that you were told to read that were purporting themselves as history books didn't really have these conversations in it of course not because if those conversations were in those books a lot of people would have taken the, that information and, in, and execute and implemented it in their contemporary dynamic. Huh? So, yeah, guess what? But it's there. Look it up. Do not take my word for it. 
So here we are in 2021. Jobs are outsourced. Technology is abound. But here we are as the American worker. You have uh, jobs out there saying, oh, my gosh, the Christmas rush is uh, uh, coming upon us and we don't have enough labor. What are we going to do? We have to give out more bonuses. Yeah, because people work hard during these rushes. I worked. I was a seasonal worker during a Christmas rush in New York City, and I worked at a toy store. Listen to what I just said. I worked at a New York City toy store in an affluent neighborhood for Christmas. Um, let me tell you something. Um, I may have had one more job in my life that was harder than that job. And that's when I worked in food service. That job, I was tired. To say that I was tired was an understatement. So now, guess what? A lot of these retailers that are trying to rebound from the losses that they've, they've taken over the last year, they want to rebound this Christmas, but they need employees. You need people to work those registers. You need people to be on those sales floors. You know those empty sales floors that we go into when we go into certain places where we can't find an employee? It's like Lord of the Rings. You're looking for the ring. You're looking for the precious Looking for an employee on a sales floor in most of these box stores is like searching for the precious in Lord of the Rings or Voldemort, he who is not to be named in Harry Potter. Can't find them when you need them. Can't find them, right? But now, all of a sudden, the holiday season comes along, and here they are trying to make sure they get you behind to that register. And all of a sudden, now the registers are filled with employees. Oh, lo and behold, all these employees that we didn't see for 11 months or 10 months and a half are here. And now they don't want those jobs. People are saying, wait a minute, you guys keep telling me that there's an, a, 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 an infection out there that's killing people. You guys told me to stay home all last year. It was hashtag stay home, hashtag stay home. And now you want me to go and be around thousands of consumers after Black Friday <laughs> and for the same wage for that money in quotes you want my time for those wages people are saying nah nah i'm good thanks but no thanks isn't it interesting so guess what's happening now guess what's happening a lot of things are happening we're going to speak about it in our next episode i'm going to do another part three and i'm going to speak about how the formerly incarcerated employee has now becoming a value. We're going to speak about it briefly. Matter of fact, maybe I should talk about it now. Now, all of a sudden, the formerly incarcerated employee is now being considered a commodity. And I'm going to give you a quotation from a major car company that's speaking about formerly incarcerated employees and how they've been working out great for um, um, these employers. He says, one of them says, these second chance workers, that's what they're calling them. You know, you got arrested, you were convicted of a nonviolent felony, a nonviolent misdemeanor, and now we're giving you a quote unquote second chance. I would argue that if you've paid your debt to society, that's a ch you shouldn't even have to worry about having a second chance. You paid your debt, it was a nonviolent offense, Hello, get a job, 
you've shown if you've shown a propensity for positive behavior and a pattern of 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 of, of positive behavior and being a normal law-abiding tax-paying citizen then what's the problem this person shouldn't have any problems getting a job but that's just me but in any case they call them second chance workers so listen to this quote says these second chance workers are thankful reliable and loyal that's the word two words there thankful and loyal but you know what's the other word that they forgot to use it's an l word they don't have any dot 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 leverage the second chance worker can't start demanding better pay better wages better working conditions because they're so thankful that they have a job and so they remain loyal that loyalty doesn't come because they love their job or they they're just so happy that they have a second chance because most of you know our puritanical system just continues to condemn someone who made a mistake and we they keep paying for it even after they paid their alleged debt to society once you check that hole have you ever been convicted of a crime such and such and you press you click yes hello why am i going to choose you over the person that clicked no so now guess what the employee who has a college degree or has experience in their field, has kept their nose clean, law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, doesn't have as much as a speeding ticket that now is demanding better pay, better wages, better this, better that. The employer is going to say, man, they have leverage. How do I counteract that leverage? Maybe I need to go to someone who doesn't have leverage or a group of individuals and demographic that doesn't. Hmm, second chance workers. <laughs> People. This is an adversarial, antagonistic dynamic. Step out of your complacency. Remain aware. Remain vigilant. This is a time for you to get to know your neighbor. If you are a teacher and you've decided not to get jabbed and now you have been fired, furloughed, you know, summarily dismissed from your employment, terminated. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your neighbor's kids by neighbor's kids names by heart? Do you? Well, do you? And when I say neighbors, I don't mean the people that just live directly next door to you on either side and across the street or whatever. If you live in a home, a residential home, a townhome or an apartment, I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about you need to know the names first and last grades, the um, so age first and last name of a hundred children in your neighborhood 100 homes is the goal did you hear me you start with the people that live on your street around the corner on both sides i lived on a block that had five people five homes i think five to six homes on our block and then around the corner there was about another seven around the corner to my right another corner to my left there was another seven we lived on a square block and on that square block there were 20 plus homes and guess what i didn't i lived there for most of my life and i don't know everyone's name who lived in that neighborhood in those homes and they lived there my neighborhood those people were there for as long as i was there and i don't know all of them but guess what we have not been living like a village but corporations they they work like a village they work like a village that's why your gas pump when you go to the gas station 
you notice you've never seen one gas station say, hey, buy one gallon, get the other gallon free. Hey, 50% off your first gallon and then your second gallon is 25. That never happens because they all work as a community. They work as a cabal. You know, they fix the price so it doesn't go so low that all of a sudden they got to all go. No, they fixed it to a certain level so they all can eat at a certain level. They don't take any losses. They know each other. These corporations, you think that they're competing when you see them. Oh, yeah, Burger King is competing with McDonald's. No, 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 no. No, it's the same. The wages are sort of streamlined. I'm going to pay you this. They all have these conversations behind closed doors closed doors but meanwhile the employee doesn't know thy neighbor but the companies that you work for they're all working hand in hand to make sure the wage looks the way it looks to make sure the prices of things are the way they are they're all working together are you working together so get to know at least the 10 20 neighbors around you know their story, their plight, and then get to know a hundred neighbors. If you're out of work now and you're a teacher, if you're an instructor of some sort, it's time. If you have some sort of skill that maybe the people in your community can use, it's time to get to know thy neighbor. Like I said before, this is the only way it's going to work. I'd like you guys to share this show. You guys are my neighbors whether you're listening from Italy or the Netherlands or Cambodia or Waikiki Beach, Honolulu or Haiti. Some of my friends in Haiti are listening right now or Quebec, Montreal, Oklahoma City, Palm Beach, Florida, all throughout the five boroughs, California, no matter where you are in the world. My friends out there in Paris, my other friends out in Bordeaux, some of my friends out there in Japan, my, my homies out in Korea, get to know thy neighbor. All my friends, get to know thy neighbor till we meet again.